Hello and welcome to Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories, the supplement to Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. I'm Laura Jackson. I am an interpretive guide in Yosemite who has lived and worked in the park since 2004. And this episode is another campfire style program where I bring you stories of mishap, adventure, and strange happenings from Yosemite National Park and the Sierra Nevada. Now, as I have stated many times in previous episodes, I love to hike. And admittedly, I have covered a lot of ground in Yosemite on my own two feet. There are over 800 miles of hiking trails in Yosemite compared to the 214 miles of paved roads that you can drive on. And while many visitors are familiar with the popular trails of Yosemite Valley, such as the Mist Trail, the Four Mile Trail, and Upper Yosemite Falls Trail, the best hiking, in my opinion, is found in the higher elevations of the park. One could hike for hours without seeing a soul, and I find this to be a luxury most of the time. But every once in a while, my feeling of isolation is suddenly interrupted, and I don't feel so alone anymore. I can remember times when sudden waves of sadness came over me, or fatigue, or anxiety while hiking. One time, I had such a feeling of dread envelop me that I had to race out of the forest to seek higher ground, out of the shadows, and out of the still silence. One time, I became so mysteriously tired and weak, I had to stop and take a nap. This was after only hiking for one mile. I started to notice these occurrences were happening in many of the same places, and I found myself kind of learning the, like the mood of different areas of the park. And since what I was experiencing seemed to be limited to certain locations, it made me wonder, was it just me? Or could something have happened there? On this week's episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories, I wanted to talk a little more about the lesser-known history of Yosemite, the myths and legends passed down by generations before, and sometimes with a very real history behind them that we may never fully understand. And what effect do those legends have on us today? What is real and what is imagined? And in the end, does it really matter? When you're traveling into Yosemite Valley for the first time, it is easy to become overwhelmed by everything visually opening up to you all at once. The first thing many people notice when they enter Yosemite Valley is the impressive monolith El Capitan, a massive block block of unbroken granite rising 3,000 vertical feet above the valley floor. The name El Capitan means the captain and was named by a member of the Mariposa Battalion in 1851. Before that, it was called Tutakanula, by some translations, Measuring Worm Stone. The name was given by the Native American population in Yosemite before Western settlement arrived. It was based on the legend of a brave inchworm, Tutak, who climbed the rock to save two grizzly bear cubs stranded on top of the peak. Every major feature in Yosemite had a different name not long ago. Yosemite Valley's original name was Awani, which meant gaping mouth. The names for the rocks and waterfalls told the stories of the people who lived there. Sometimes the stories were inspirational, like Tutakanula, and sometimes the stories were kind of scary, like the legend of Pahono. 
If Tutacanula, or El Capitan, is the first thing you notice driving into Yosemite Valley, the second thing you may notice would be Pajono, which we know today as Bridalville Falls. It's a 620-foot-tall waterfall flowing from the lip of the south wall. Bridalville Falls is a curiosity. It is north-facing. It doesn't get a lot of sunlight. It's cloaked in shadows for most of the day, and it's often quite unseasonably cool. But something sort of remarkable happens with the waterfall. A gale of wind that seems to come from nowhere puffs the water up as it drops, blowing a cloud of mist back up to the top of the waterfall and giving the illusion of a bride's veil. But that powerful wind can be dangerous. The area is already wet and slippery from the mist and a strong gust of wind easily knocks visitors off balance, which may be how the waterfall earned its original name, Pahono, puffing wind, or in some translations, evil puffing wind. Pahono, like every waterfall in Yosemite Valley, is fed by snowmelts, either on its own or what has collected in flows from high-elevation lakes. The headwaters for Pahono are from a glacial lake six miles south of the waterfall, which today we call Ostrander Lake. It is one of thousands of beautiful small glacial lakes in the Yosemite high country. By any definition, it should be a lovely place to visit any time. But that wasn't my experience when I visited Ostrander Lake for the first and perhaps only time in the summer of 2018. The hike out was lonely. I didn't see anyone the entire way. When I arrived at the lake, I stopped for a snack. A stone hut sits near the shoreline and serves as a skier's refuge during the winter. It was locked and boarded up when I arrived, and a weather vane on the top of the old structure squeaked ominously with every gust of wind as it teetered back and forth. I didn't take long to realize that that was really the only sound at the lake. I find something unsettling in stillness when I am in nature. In my estimation, a lake like this should be teeming with activity, but it was as if the birds and wildlife had abandoned this place almost entirely. But it was the lack of movement and sound that really grabbed my attention. All I could hear was the sound of the weather vane it tick-tocked from side to side. I didn't spend much time there. I finished my snack and packed up quickly, leaving Ostrander Lake behind me. Not sure if I would ever return. If birds and animals didn't want to be there, I was pretty sure I didn't want to be there either. To be fair, I knew the legend of Ostrander Lake going in. I suppose I had a morbid curiosity and would have been perhaps a little disappointed if I didn't feel uneasy when I was there. An old Indian legend says that the lake is haunted by troubled spirits and that the energy of those spirits carries all the way to Pahono Falls, where it manifests as the malevolent puffing wind. I don't know the origin story of the troubled spirits, and quite frankly, it makes me uncomfortable to tell stories that are not my own, but I wonder if some of the suspicion may lend itself to the strangeness of the place. It was just too still and too quiet. To me, it felt like it was keeping a secret. Further south of Ostrander Lake is Grouse Lake, a tiny lake that even I have not made it to yet. I have been reluctant to visit, in no small part due to the legend of Grouse Lake and an experience described by Yosemite's first guardian, Galen Clark. Clark was an avid outdoorsman and a bit of an eccentric. 
He lived in Yosemite during the early years of settlement. Unlike most of the white settlers at the time, Clark had a good relationship with the local Indians and had made friends with many of them. Perhaps because of that, they shared some of their stories and ways with him, which he detailed in his book published in 1904, Indians of the Yosemite Valley and Vicinity. Clark tells the Yosemite Indian myths and legends as they were told to him, but he also shared one story as a personal account of an experience he had at Grouse Lake in the late summer of 1857. Clark was on a hunting trip in the high country that year in September and stopped at Grouse Lake to have a rest. While he was there, a group of hunters stopped on the opposite side of the lake to rest and get some water as well. When the hunting party left, Clark heard the wailing of what he believed to be a puppy coming from the lake and thought the men may have left one of their dogs behind, but no one came back for it. The following is Galen Clark's personal account of the incident when he returned to his hunting party that night. When I joined the Indians in camp that night, I inquired of them about the sound I had heard. They replied that it was not a dog, that a long time ago an Indian boy had been drowned in the lake, and that every time anyone passed there he always cried after them, and that no one dared go in the lake, for he would catch them by the legs and pull them down, and they would be drowned. I then concluded that it must have been some unseen waterfowl that made the cry, and at that time I thought the Indians were trying to impose on my credulity. But I am now fully convinced that they fully believed the story they told me. Clark does not elaborate on his personal belief of the incident beyond that, but I imagine he was relieved he hadn't been tempted into the lake by the desperate cry. Still, legends are not easily taken literally, especially for those of us from Western culture who tend to prefer a tangible explanation for mysteries. Galen Clark could have heard a bird calling that day at Grouse Lake, and likewise, my mind could have been playing tricks on me at Ostrander Lake. Knowing what I knew of it before hiking out, the power of suggestion can do a lot to fulfill an expectation, whether we want it to or not. The line between what is real and what is imagined can easily become unclear. We can convince ourselves of anything under certain circumstances, but there is no denying the intrigue that comes from a place steeped in such mystery. Maybe it is our imaginations playing tricks on us, or maybe something is trapped in those liminal spaces between what is real and what is imagined, what was past and what is present. And perhaps those stories are just longing to be acknowledged, for who knows what happens when they are lost and forgotten. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. If you have a story you would like to share on an upcoming Little Yo Pod, please contact me or send it my way. You can send me an attachment with your story typed up to littleyopod at gmail.com. It can be any length, any story, as long as it's not a published work. I also welcome poetry and haiku or anything creative that can be shared on this type of platform. Also check out the uh, and like the Little Yo Pod Facebook page for news and updates as the podcast releases. I hope you're all doing well, taking care of yourselves and loved ones until things start getting back to normal. I will continue releasing this podcast weekly <laughs> as long as I can get ideas for it. So let me know if there's a topic you would like to hear about in a future episode. I could really use the help here. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod Campfire Stories. 
I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful day.